It is 11.30. Good morning on a Wednesday. It is time for our midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us as we get ready for next couple hours. Lots of information coming your way as always. I'm Scott Foster. Jason Jorgensen's here and Bob Brogan. And we will start things off with Susan Littlefield. Let's see what kind of information she has for us. Susan? Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on the midday from the farm team. I'm going to kick it all off at 1219. If you missed the president's comments yesterday in regards to agriculture, we'll do a quick recap for you. Then Clay will step in at 1245 as he talks about cattle price discovery. And then we'll wrap everything up at 117 as I talk to Dr. Gary Sullivan with the University of Nebraska Lincoln as he talks more about Nebraska pork cares. That's the happenings on the midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you very much, Susan. Appreciate it. Uh, the looks like NASCAR season got started last week, and uh, they're going to go with a little midweek stuff you today. Know, first Wednesday night race they've had since the mid-80s. Oh, really? And huh. you might ask yourself, well, why are they adding these uh, mid-race games? Well, they're trying to catch up yeah. to the eight races that they lost out uh, of the last couple of months. So we will preview that. Also, there have been some guidelines put down by one of the uh, national organizations on how fall sports could potentially come back for everyone. Of course, the NSAA is following phase one of that right now with coming up on the 1st of June, allowing schools to allow the kids back in mm-hmm. to do some workouts. But there are some heavy stipulations with that. And if things do happen this fall, things are going to look a little different. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to really see some changes. It still continues to uh, evolve, that's mm. for sure. And uh, Tom Brady and some of his new teammates were working at yesterday down in Florida. Now, they're not allowed to be back at the team facilities just yet, but they were able to find a field or a park, and they weren't busted, and they threw the football around a little bit. I think since it's a special season for Tampa Bay with uh, Brady and Gronk being back, I think they need to go back to the creamsicle. You think so? Go that, back to the creamsicle uniforms. Those were pretty cool. <laughs> they were cool. The guy on the side of the helmet, the Schwassbuckler guy. But there were some rough years with those uniforms. A lot of too. bad years. Now they did. They did have a couple of decent years. Steve in there. Deberg and yep. the company there. Doug Williams. Doug they Williams made a run to the NFC title game, but a lot of losses in those creamsicles too, Scott. <laughs> there was a lot, but a lot, a lot of wins left to come. So also, I wonder if they still have any room left on the Tampa Bay bandwagon from all of those Patriot fans who now will be cheering for the Bucks. But yeah, there'll be a few. <laughs> there'll be a few. All right, thank you very much, Jason. I appreciate it. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. Stocks uh, up a little bit here today. Uh, some hopes of some maybe some more uh, medications to help out uh, COVID. Right, uh, several uh, possible. Vaccines are being worked on. Stocks are broadly higher on Wall Street as investors regain their confidence following a sudden drop a day earlier. Big-name investor favorites like Facebook, Apple, and Amazon are helping to pull the market higher. In the meantime, the coronavirus pandemic is taking out large sections of Hawaii's economy. A University of Hawaii survey of 623 businesses conducted with the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii showed 34% had no revenue last month. And uh, also, the coronavirus has hurt a vast majority of Nebraska's businesses, and about one in six of them are worried that it will force them to close their doors permanently. Details on these stories and more coming up. All right. Thank you very much. That's all coming up on Midday. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins 
stepping into studio with me and a bit of a, an unsettled, I guess you would say, forecast coming up. Yeah, definitely over the next few days, especially tomorrow into tomorrow night. Lots of rain expected, some pretty decent rainfall totals. Still trying to shake off some clouds from a system yeah. off to our east. Ain't much of eastern Nebraska still with quite a bit of cloud cover, but lots of sunshine trying to build in from the west, which we've been trying to get into the forecast. It just hasn't been. Uh, it's, we have these clouds in the morning, then they slowly give way to sunshine in the afternoon. Is this still that low pressure sitting over Illinois, Actually, Ohio it's more now? towards the east coast, okay, uh, the southeastern U.S. It's a big upper-level low, and, of course, okay. it's a system that brought the flooding to right. Michigan and a lot of heavy rain, but yeah, it just continues to slowly spin away to our east, but we have another one coming in from the northwest, and we're right in the middle in most of the area currently. Well, that has always worked out well for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but otherwise, temperatures decent underneath this dome of high pressure across much of west and central areas. Those clouds still persistent into the east, holding temperatures down in the eastern areas of Nebraska in the low 60s. But otherwise, we're in the mid to upper 60s for the most part. Even some low 70s starting to show up in the western Nebraska panhandle and parts of northeast Colorado. Underneath that ridge of high pressure building onto the plains, we will see seasonal temperatures today with a mix of sun and clouds. More of those clouds off towards the east with low pressure starting to move into the Rockies. Southeast winds on the breezy side today up around 15 to 30, even stronger as you head to the west. Thunderstorm chances increase in western Nebraska to northeast Colorado this afternoon through this evening. Some of those storms could be severe with a slight to even an enhanced risk from the Storm Prediction Center. That severe threat diminishes after midnight when the likely chance of thunderstorms moves into central areas. Rain and thunderstorms remain likely pretty much region-wide tomorrow through tomorrow night with that main low tracking east through the plains. Tomorrow's severe threat looks to be over southwest Kansas. Rain amounts will be as high as a half inch to an inch and a half from central Nebraska into west and central Kansas. We do have that latest rainfall forecast map on the KRBN Facebook page. After we see a brief lull, Saturday looks to have our best chance of severe weather with highs soaring into the 80s and an increase in humidity. Thunderstorms likely by Saturday night with an area of low pressure and a cold front tracking through the region. Off and on, thunderstorm chances will remain for Sunday into Tuesday as the front stalls up to the southeast. Temperatures cooling back to more seasonal levels behind that front, but for just a short time. Overall, it doesn't look like the holiday weekend going to be a complete washdown. Looks like your better chances of rain going to be during the nighttime hours or at least the evening on Saturday night. In the long-term forecast, our temperatures are back to overall warmer than normal for Memorial Day through the first two days of next month in Nebraska and Kansas. Just that slight cool down to seasonal for early on next week. Rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas slightly above normal for early next week. Nebraska rainfall trends below normal by late next week through the 2nd of June, while Kansas rainfall closer to near normal. So temperatures 4 inches down at 7 this morning for Nebraska and pretty much all of Kansas in the mid to upper 50s. The soil temperatures in the low 60s over southwest Kansas and eastern Colorado. Weather factors driving the market include consistent rain for the central U.S. and limited precipitation for Europe crop areas. Slow-moving storms will continue to spin across the northwest U.S. and the southeast U.S. The northwest storm's cold front will result in daily rounds of thunderstorms from the plains into portions of the Mississippi Valley. Heavy rain moving through the eastern Midwest the last few days has led to very wet fields and flooding. Because of that, eastern Midwest planting is delayed. For emerging crops, though, the rain was beneficial. Additional moderate to heavy rain remains likely in the Midwest the end of this week through next week. 
Towards the southern plains, wheat areas, beneficial rain predicted through the weekend, including the drier western areas. The wet conditions will continue in the southeastern plains next week. Crops in the northern plains will have multiple rounds of rain through Sunday. The rain a benefit to emerging crops, but leading to additional planting delays and the concerns for preventive planting across the northern plains. The western Europe crop areas of France and Germany becoming drier right now. Only light rain is forecast the next week to 10 days, which will be unfavorable for their wheat. All right, very good. So it looks like this weekend, anyway, Saturday's our best chance for something to happen. Yeah, you know, we haven't seen, seen too much in the way of widespread severe weather. No. I would not doubt if that's probably the case late on Saturday into the evening there. Okay, very good. Well, we'll be, we'll be right with you for all of it here at KRVN. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather, sir? Weather tab, krvn.com. District. Both the president and the Ag Secretary announcing details of the coronavirus food assistance program yesterday. It'll provide up to $16 billion in direct payments to American farmers. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. President Trump House yesterday did suggest as well that the United States should consider terminating trade deals that bring live cattle into the United States. Now, most cattle imported into the U.S. does come from Mexico and Canada, thus falling under the president's USMCA. I read yesterday where uh, we take some cattle in from other countries because we have trade deals. I think you should look at terminating those deals. All right. We have trade deals where we actually take in cattle and we have a lot of cattle in this country. And I think you should look at the possibility of uh, terminating those trade deals. Now, if a country has been a great country and a great ally and a great friend, it's, you know, you have to do that. But there are some countries that are sending us cattle for many years. And I think we should look at uh, terminating. Now, most recently, the United States actually opened up the fresh beef imports from Brazil. That's something the National Cattlemen's Beef Association urged the president to reconsider. The association said that there continue to be concerns of foot and mouth disease and the USDA decision to reopen the American market to Brazilian beef. Now, approximately 12% of beef consumed in the U.S. is imported product, but the product must meet U.S. standards before allowed into the market. One of the questions that came up during the Q&A of the president's speech yesterday had to deal with the euthanization of livestock. One journalist wondered if there'd be any assistance coming from this for those producers. The Ag Secretary responded. Yes, we're gathering that data now. This particular direct payment is not directly for that. There will be help coming through NRCS over the uh, euthanasia and disposal uh, coming that way. So there will be uh, certainly directed there soon. Yeah, it'll be after this is announced and uh, we get more data. We are still there are a lot of rumors out there about what's actually happening. Uh, we want to get the facts and the data and make policy based on good data. As the president continued to talk, he discussed the past fundings that were given out to agriculture and the current ones that will be happening. But he said producers want a level playing field and that's to be able to raise the product. But he did talk about the disgruntles with China. The farmers were targeted by China when we started uh, negotiating tough with China. And what I did is we've taken in tens of billions of dollars of tariffs. Sonny was very aware of this because he had to distribute the money to the farmers. I said, Sonny, we've taken in a lot of money. How much did the farmers lose? This is two years ago. 
they were targeted for an amount. What do you think the impact? He said $12 billion. So I said, that's okay. We'll take $12 billion out of our tariff money, which was many billions more than that, that China paid. Never paid us 10 cents, by the way, before that. Before Trump, they never paid anything. I said, we'll take $12 billion out of the tens of billions of dollars that we took in, and we're going to give it to the farmers. And you distributed that money. And Zippy, I think you were shocked because you've never seen anything like it. Otherwise, these farmers wouldn't have been in business. So we took $12 million, we gave it to the farmers. We said, thank you very much to China. Thank you very much, China. And then the next year, I said, Sonny, what's the number? We called Zippy. We called some of the other people. We determined it was $16 billion that the farmers were targeted, $16 billion by China. So I took $16 billion out of the tariffs, which were many, many billions of tens of billions more than that. Those comments coming from a meeting yesterday at the White House. I'm Susan Littlefield from the Pearl Radio Network. Friday in the Fields is back with the farm team here on the Rural Radio Network, brought to you by First National Bank. Hi, this is Chad Moyer, and for Fridays in the Field from Northeast Nebraska, we'll be visiting with North Bend area farmer Chuck Emanuel. He and his son Nick farm both in Dodge and Colfax counties. Join me in East Central Nebraska as I follow Mark Dufek from Seward. Mark grows corn, soybeans, and hay, and he teaches agronomy and ag mechanics courses at Southeast Community College in Beatrice. Greetings from the Panhandle of Nebraska. I'm Chabella Guzman, and on Fridays this summer, we'll be chatting with Paul Pieper of Mitchell on dry edible beans, corn, and more. So be sure to tune in every Friday during the midday for Fridays in the Field, brought to you by First National Bank. If you miss it on air, don't worry. You can catch it as a podcast as well through our website at ruralradio.com and also the video link as well to see what our farmers are up to. It's Fridays in the Field. On the World Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, NASCAR's comeback from the coronavirus continues at Darlington Raceway tonight, just three days after resuming its season at the South Carolina track. The Toyota 500 will be NASCAR's first Wednesday race in 36 years. In that last race, Richard Petty won his 200th Cup Series race at Daytona on July 4th of 1984. They might be wondering, well, why is NASCAR doing the midweek thing? Well, they have added a couple of weeknights as they try to make up the eight races they missed because of the pandemic. The Nebraska Golf Association has announced a site change for the first championship of this summer, moving the Nebraska Girls Junior Match Play Championships from Riverside Golf Club in Grand Island to the Oakland Golf Club. The 58th Nebraska Girls Match Play Championship and 31st Nebraska Junior Match Play Championship will now be conducted in Oakland, with the dates of the championship pushed back a day to June 16th through the 19th. The move was made due to concerns about participating in a multi-day junior event in the Grand Island area. So Riverside Golf Club will trade places with Oakland and is scheduled to host the event now next year. High school sports will certainly have a different look this fall. A three-phase reopening of the nation's high school activities programs is a recommendation of the national governing body. Temperature checks and screening questions are recommended for the first two phases, which will match what the White House and the CDC issued back in April. Face coverings should be used when possible, including in competition in those first two phases. Now, phase one, which the Nebraska School Activities Association is partially implementing with its June 1st start of strength and conditioning workouts, recommends the 10-person, 6-foot social distancing limits still continue as they try to get things started up again. 
Well, Tom Brady isn't letting the coronavirus pandemic or NFL rules against players working out at team facilities, keeping him from preparing for the new year with his new teammates. Brady gathered with some of his new Buccaneer teammates on a high school field for a throwing session early yesterday. Brady wore a Buccaneers helmet and an orange jersey over his shoulder pads. The informal players-only workout lasted a couple of hours. And New York's Belmont Stakes is usually the third leg of horse racing's Triple Crown, but not this year. It will be the first. New York Racing Association announced the 152nd Belmont Stakes will take place on Saturday, June 20th as the opening leg of the Triple Crown. Now, fans will not be allowed at the race, but fans will be able to place bets online. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Price discovery and fed cattle. That's our topic of discussion on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Nebraska Farm Bureau senior economist Jay Rempe published in this week's Agricultural Economic Tidbits newsletter an interesting piece on fed cattle markets and where price discovery comes from. Of course, with two black swan events in late 2019 and early 2020, the cattle market has been anything but quiet. This has really brought a lot of attention to just how little cash trade occurs in today's fed cattle market. In the article, Rempe cites negotiated purchases in Nebraska averaged 41% of total transactions between 2016 and early 2020 on an annual basis, according to the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. In contrast, cash purchases in Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and other Southern Plains regions accounted for just 9% of the trade. I'm joined now by Nebraska Farm Bureau Senior Economist Jay Rempe. And Jay, I think the best place for us to start our discussion is why do we see Southern states moving away from negotiated cash and what's replacing that marketing tool for them? Yeah, good, good question, Clay. You're exactly right. When you look at the trends uh, you're over the on a national basis, you're looking at less cash trades, but it's especially pronounced in the southern states and like Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. Roughly uh, on any given period of time, their cash trades are seven to nine to ten percent, whereas in Nebraska. It could be 35 to 40 percent, and in Iowa, 50 percent. I haven't really seen any really good solid reasons, anybody positing why that is the case, but I guess my own thought is I think it's a little bit of the difference of the structures of the industries between the southern states of Nebraska and Iowa. The feedlots are bigger in the southern states. They're a little more geographically confined to a, to a given area. Since they're bigger, they're, they're wanting to search for more efficiencies, a little more uh, regularity in the marketings and those kind of things. And I think that's why we've seen a lot of that were in Nebraska, we're a little more spread out with our feedlot industry, we're a little smaller, and so it's, it's dominated by smaller feedlots that are that are doing things differently, doing it with the, through the cash markets. Reducing risk and risk management is a major component to any agriculture business. Jay, from your perspective, how do forward or formula contracts reduce risk while adding value at the same time? It obviously, there's a benefit to the feeders down there from using the formula contracts or, or anybody that uses them. Otherwise, uh, I, I don't think you'd see the trends toward them like we are. So there, there are some benefits, and price risk has got to be one of them, managing that price risk, knowing a little bit uh, more of what you're going to potentially get for that, uh, for that cattle moving. I think there's a lot of uh, benefits around the efficiency portion, just knowing 
the marketings and having a regular schedule for your marketings and being able to move the animals through on an efficient basis. I know Dr. Kuntz from Colorado State has done a lot of work in this area, and he has suggested that the use of formula contracts will result in about $25 to $40 benefit per animal, forward contracts $15 to $25 per animal. So there, there are definitely some efficiencies that are achieved there and some value that is provided to the feeders that are using these kind of contracts. Right now, the cash discovery, price discovery, when when the rubber meets the road, where supply meets demand, and what price is it that access at that decides it every week? Right now is a competitive bidding process in cattle. Feeders have an asking price out there. Packers will put a bid out, and then they slowly work to a middle ground. What are some other options out there? Because obviously not all commodities, you know, their price discoveries are on that. I know some of the equities, they have like market makers is, are, is what the, some of those titles are called. So what are some other forms of price discovery out there, and are any of them applicable to cattle and to the livestock industry? Oh, yes, I, I think they could be. And you look, obviously, the cash market is one way of price discovery, and the more cash market you have, the, the greater the price discovery. But there are other ways to try to bring about that price discovery. You mentioned one, market makers. These are people that are that are compensated to, in a variety of ways, bring buyers and sellers together or to participate in the market to encourage, uh, in this case, maybe cash transactions or something. So I think that could be very pl- applicable to the cattle industry. I've seen some other ideas suggested about uh, creating a blockchain ledger for to report all transactions using some of that blockchain technology and, and increasing the price reporting and, and price transparency. Uh, you could use some technology in the way of video and web-based transactions. And so there's just a variety of ways I think you can bring some more price discovery to the market without going the realm of, of, of government mandate or regulation. And let's talk about that Senate bill right now that's being discussed, and it really is gaining some support. The 50-14 plan, 50% of weekly cattle must be in the cash market. They need to be within a two-week delivery time period. Jay, give us some of the pros and cons of this legislation. Supporters argue that it would result in more cash trades, and so you'll see a more robust cash market, which would create greater price discovery and, and more transparency in that sense that uh, you'd be able to get a better sense of what, what's happening in the market. And I think there's some element of, of thought that it would maybe work as a check a little bit on market leverage by the packers in, in their purchasing and perhaps in, in certain areas of, of the country and in markets bring more cash bids in, into the market. So those are those are all good things that, that the, the supporters like opponents probably argue mostly on the side of okay we're going to have the government step in here and generally that's just kind of a blunt one-size-fit-all instrument but that doesn't always necessarily work well in private markets particularly one like this where you have regional markets and then i think the other issue is just we talked about the, the efficiencies and savings and benefits of using formula contracts and, and forward contracts to the extent those are lost because you're forcing uh, cash trades. There could be some losses in the industry, and then you could see some, some lower prices as a result of that. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. I still have a question or two for Jay, so if you'd like to hear those answers, look for the podcast of this interview available later at ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the business report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are higher on Wall Street as investors regain their confidence following a sudden drop a day earlier. 
Big-name investor favorites like Facebook, Apple, and Amazon are helping to pull the market higher. Target reported that its online sales more than doubled in the first quarter as the coronavirus pandemic put millions in lockdown. Markets in Europe and Asia also rose. The price of crude oil was up about 3% and bond yields held steady. The coronavirus pandemic is taking out large sections of Hawaii's economy. A University of Hawaii survey of 623 businesses conducted with the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii showed 34% had no revenue last month. In Maui County, the number was 61%. Italy's restaurants and pizzerias are facing a threat. After 10 weeks of a strict coronavirus lockdown, they have emerged to find that new social distancing measures might drive them out of business. Italians reveled this week in being able to sit down for a meal at their local restaurant for the first time since March. But studies suggest that as many as a third of Italy's eateries risk closing due to projected tourism downturn, reduced capacity to turn tables, and Italians' own fears of eating out. The coronavirus has hurt a vast majority of Nebraska's businesses, and about one in six of them are worried that it will force them to close their doors permanently. That's according to a report released this week. Governor Pete Ricketts' COVID briefing on Tuesday featured discussion of that recently completed survey of more than 4,500 businesses across Nebraska on how the pandemic has impacted their business. The survey was designed and conducted as a collaborative effort between the University of Nebraska, state and local chambers of commerce, and the Nebraska Department of Economic Development. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rogan. Over the past couple of days, we've heard some exciting things happening with Nebraska pork producers and their Nebraska Pork Cares program. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Today we catch up with Dr. Gary Sullivan with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. He's an associate professor in meat science as we talk about the work they're doing to process these hawks. And with anything, labor right now is a concern. Yeah, so we are facing that issue with labor and in in many ways it's the labor is the issue that all size plants are dealing with right now as far as constraints in the number of animals that can be processed and so at the university of nebraska it's really been the staff and the faculty graduate students that are still around lincoln that have stepped in and are really doing the providing the labor for us to help out how many hogs are you guys planning to process and, and and what is the time frame for you to get everything done so we are doing groups of 12 at a time and so today we will do the harvesting wednesday our intention is to do the fabrication grinding some of the material on thursday and then at the beginning of next week we will get the product it'll be frozen and then delivered to the food bank so are you are, are you doing just 12 hogs a week or are you doing every other day or how are you guys working planning to do that so our plan right now is to do groups of 12 and it'll probably be one group a week um, we're looking at our schedule and and working with the pork producers to determine how many groups we'll do but uh, 12 head a week is our our plan for now I want to kind of give a little shout out to your facilities there and and the work that you guys do in educating uh, students. Talk about what is offered for kids, especially if there's somebody out there that's thinking, you know, this might be something I'd be interested in. So at the University of Nebraska, the meat science group is within the animal science department. And we really are set up at the Lawful Meat Laboratory to 
train students, work with industry in extension programming, and do research for the university's needs. Um, as far as coursework, we do have classes that are taught, and, and we actually are unique in many ways that we have many of our meat science classes offered online. And so if students are interested in having an increased education in meat science or those that aren't even students elsewhere, um, have a chance that they could take some of these courses that we offer uh, on campus. Do you think right now, because of the surge that we have seen around the country, that there might be a pickup in interest um, for some of these incoming students to think meat science might be just the avenue they're looking for? Well, many times I think meat science is an area people don't think about. Um, and, and many times it gets lost in what happens from the time animals are delivered to the slaughterhouse until they get to the retail case. And I think that's what we at the University of Nebraska and our meat science group, as well as others across the country, are really working to train and talk about. And I think the discussion of meat that's going on right now is really um, fits into that narrative that we've been trying to promote. Anything else that you would like to add, Gary? We're just happy to work with the pork producers and the producers, uh, the pork producers around the state and the Nebraska Pork Producers Association in this project because ultimately everyone is struggling during this time and this is a way that we can step up and do our part. That's my conversation with Dr. Gary Sullivan. He is with the Animal Science at UNL. And again, if you'd like to donate to help the Nebraska pork producers, get in contact with them. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. on the World Radio Network, talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And a pretty strong close across the board. A few of the corn contracts still slightly in the red. But here in this Kansas City wheat market specifically, John, we're almost on the high of the day by the close. So really strong to see this is the big question now, can we continue to find follow-through support? Yeah, I'm skeptical a little bit on the KC, just for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, if you look at the spread between the KC July and the K uh, December KC, uh, it's only about 18 cents, 19 cents. And I spoke to an elevator manager and another merchandiser confirmed the same thing, that that spread is really tight to be holding old crop through the summer. So you're going to see some, some old crop selling here that I think is going to keep the markets from rallying probably where they could go least based off of you know weather in europe and other things so short term i think it makes more sense on chicago if you want to own wheat um you know kc will certainly follow to a certain degree but i think in the short run you're gonna just run into a lot of old crop selling and i think the same kind of dynamic exists in corn where you only have a what a 12 set spread between um december and july of this year and there's there's not a whole lot of reason you want to carry corn for that so uh, i look for that spread to widen out as well probably into the 4th of July weekend and you know as I'm going to say here going forward I just don't think you want to get long yet wait till the dryness comes and see if you can get you know something cheaper maybe down closer to 315 on the September uh, I think that provides more value here as well, we look across the pond and the Eurozone starting to get in some relief funds built. That has sent a lot of money movement over to the Euro, finally starting to break this U.S. dollar to the downside. Does this look maybe to help some of this export business, maybe not for tomorrow's report, but out next week? I don't know if it's going to help ex short-term export business, but it's going to help valuations for sure. And, you know, the, the big traders have been basically piling in dollars. 
but you know we're seeing some confirmation here that this thing's over i i mean i'm not you know i'm not a scientist so i'm not following the medical side of it you know as far as what can happen again but i think in the near term you know we're going to get off our feet here we're going to start to move i think the market's short a tremendous amount of overseas currencies and long the dollar and i think that'll that that potential here like in the second half of the year could really provide some wins to corn i just don't think it happens in the short term so if I'm, I'm, I'm a buyer of beans, maybe Chicago wheat and seller of KC and hold on corn. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. You can learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Again, danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember trading futures and options, though, involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Seeing it come in again, Kansas City wheat on the July contract, literally just three quarters of a penny away from its high at 453 and a quarter. That'll end up 11 and three quarters. We'll see December new crop down just a quarter at 334 even. And that wraps up today's midday program here on KRVN. If you missed anything or want to rehear any of our interviews, you can listen to the midday podcast at krvn.com or by subscribing on Spotify or iTunes. Our midday podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motor. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.